0: all right katie hoff and todd anderson welcome to the podcast how are you doing
1: thanks Good. thanks for having us yeah thank
2: you
0: yeah wh- where are you guys coming from
2: we are coming to you from royal oak michigan which is i feel like the best swimming people can hear is it's like 40 minutes outside of ann arbor
0: nice nice now todd i feel like that's kind of where you grew up in that area but uh, katie how did you end up there
2: uh this guy <laughs> um, <laughs> funny actually because i i went to the i mean back when they were called grand prixs but i used mm-hmm. to go to ann arbor grand prix all the time like back in 2006 2007 so i only really knew of michigan because of that meet and i only yeah. really knew of michigan and not michigan state which i've yeah. been i stand corrected mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but uh yeah his whole family's from here we got married here so we've been living here for about two years now
1: as a, i went to michigan state so and our is like hell on earth for us, so, <laughs> so we avoid that at all costs.
0: I was going to say that. So, so we got an Olympic swimmer and a former uh, NFL football player. So, you know, you're married now. You've got a business together. Uh, where did where did it start? Where did you guys meet?
2: So we met. So he was training for his uh, pro day down in Naples, Florida, and I was training down in Naples, Florida, with T2 prior to 2012, mm-hmm. and we just had a similar. Actually, I was going to a same trainer because I was seeking out more core and stability work uh, while I was training for trials, and we just met that way. And then um, actually ended up uh, just staying in contact because he went back to Michigan State and became friends, and the rest yeah. is history. But.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, we stayed in touch. I had no intentions of pursuing it. I, invite, <laughs> like, I had like a month off before, uh, like, rookie camp. And I was like, you were know, hanging out, come, you know, come visit, and you, you know, kind of like a blind offer. And then she actually did. So,
2: well, I didn't make the team in 2012, as we know. So I was like anywhere. I don't want to be anywhere but home. It'd be so fun <laughs> to go to Michigan. And I mean, you, you're you cutting over. He going into 2012 trials, he was like, well, can I have like a USA swimming shirt? Like, so I can mm. cheer you on and rep you. And like, I'm looking like yeah, I can order anything from from Speedo at the time, but XXL is not your standard size. So I had to go above and beyond to find an XXL shirt for him. So.
0: <laughs> That's a good end though. Give me a shirt, you know, and I'll come watch Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I was looking through uh, just Wikipedia real quick a second ago, Katie. I didn't realize we went to the same Olympics in 04, hey.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I was a baby. I know, yeah,
0: I know I'm old, but I didn't think you were that old.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, no, oh four. I know you know it's funny. We have more connections than you think. I was gonna tell you, Auburn when I was twelve and thirteen was like I had an Auburn cap I wore every single day. Like I was destined to go swim at Auburn. like I was obsessed. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've got more things in common than we even knew.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say that because you ended up ultimately not going to college at all, right? Didn't you fall for college? Yeah. I
2: I went pro after 2005 World Championships. Um, Yeah. And so decided to forego. I mean, now I could do both, but um, yeah, I went pro with um, Speedo and signed with Octagon and um, yeah, the rest was history.
0: That's interesting. I'd like to talk about that in a second. Todd, I'll jump onto you real quick in terms of your college choice. Why did you end up choosing Michigan State?
1: Uh, well, so I uh, I actually walked on to Michigan State. So you know that was like my dream come true, pretty much. I um, I didn't have any offers. I didn't have Division two offers. I oh. somehow got the opportunity to walk on, and I was kind of like, I'm gonna regret it if I don't. Definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, but um, you know, run out of the tunnel like my senior year as a starter was well worth all the all the pain and suffering for sure
0: how does someone who walks on to a college team and, I, and i'm like there's thousands of positions in a college team but there's only limited spots on an nfl team so how does a walk-on in college get to the nfl in?
1: yeah well not easily i'll say that much <laughs> I mean, it definitely helps being in it i mean I, in life in general i think when you throw yourself into a mix of people you tend to adapt and elevate yourself to that group in whatever case. So mm-hmm. I think being in a big school and, and we had a lot of good teams, we won a couple of big 10 championships. I think, you know, when I first got there, I was so out of place and, and out of my league. And by the time I left, you know, I was one of the better guys on the team. And I think, you know, you adapt and, you know, I think being in a big school at like Michigan state NFL teams had a great relationship with our coaches and that gives you a leg up for sure. Like there's a lot of guys that, smaller schools that are really good players that don't even get an opportunity. So, um, yeah, kind of the right place, right time. And, and being in a big, Big Ten school and having some good seasons and good players around us, it kind of fell into place.
0: Isn't it interesting? I'm just thinking you two sitting here together reached the top of wherever you could go in the sport, and yet you came at it from totally different situations. Like, Katie, you were so good that you forfeited college. That's how damn good you were. It was like, I'm, I'm too good for that which is amazing. And then here you are, Todd, like not yeah. good enough, like begging to be on a team and then you end up in the same spot. It's kind of like our relationship.
1: I'm just fighting every
0: day, uh, trying,
2: to, <laughs> trying
1: to survive, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: She's the talent everywhere, is she? Yeah.
2: No, I mean, it is. we to talk about that all the time of just how different our experiences were, but mm. also how similar our mentalities were and are. And I think that's what drew both of us together um, when we met each other is just, you know, he had an understanding of what I was going through and I had an understanding more than probably most people in his life, what he was going through. Um, and so I think being able to have just that, that, instant understanding it's just an unsaid thing and and it becomes so comfortable and I actually really appreciated having someone come from outside just the swimming bubble um and I hadn't really I mean I'd never even really like talked to a football player before that Mm -hmm. like I knew a handful of, of people outside of the sport and so that was really refreshing and you know when I didn't make the team in 2012 he was one of the few people who actually knew what to say and the thing to say is not just like hey it's okay like brush it off he he truly got it, and mm, that yeah. was kind of the start of our relationship of just this understanding and and um, having that connection right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting this whole kind of nature versus nurture type thing of like, are you are you made an Olympic athlete or an, or an NFL player or do you or or are you born one type thing? You know what I mean? And and you two are kind of prime examples of coming at it from different directions in that sense of like, you know, there's obviously a clear talent with you, Katie, that that it it wasn't enough at 15 just to have talent. Like you had to have something else beyond that to ultimately get on the podium at the Olympics and have this amazing career that you had, right? It wasn't just talent that got you there. And then Todd, it's the same thing for you in terms of like there, there may have been some sort of lack of talent or perceived talent, but ultimately you got to where you wanted to go. So you both ended up in the same spot and, and this is where it comes down to kind of the, the mental, capabilities of, of what you can go through and what you can endure and what you how far you can push yourself and those sorts of things would you agree with that
1: yeah i mean i think the biggest you know consistency between the two is both of us sought or, or trying to be around the best talent and the most talented people yeah. that we you know are around or competing with i think if i didn't go to michigan state i probably went to a division three school and been a pretty good player there, but been nowhere near as good as I would have because I went to Michigan State and I said, Can't right. you stay the same if you stayed in the same swim team your entire life. Mm-hmm. I would doubt you would elevate yourself to that level. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: yeah, when you walk on the full deck at NBAC and it's like a wall full of Olympians, like that's just like what you do at NBAC, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. I I am a, you know, we talk about this all, all the time of raising kids. We don't have kids yet, but um, like how do you create that, you know, but how do you create the best environment for excellence? And I, I totally agree. I think it's just surrounding yourself with people where you're you're not the best, right? You're constantly striving for the expectations are there. And so it just elevates you automatically to that level.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was just having this conversation, side conversation with David Marsh. Um, him and I had kind of a, a small hand in, in helping Cody Simpson go from kind of this pop star to uh, on the Australian team within two years. And, and him and I having this side conversation and he was trying to kind of understand of like, how did it happen so quickly? Like, even the people in there amongst it were like, how did this happen in two years? And, and I just kind of scrap, you know, going through my memories and thinking to myself, well, he put himself with the best coaches, with the best teammates in the best situations with the with the best dietitians and the best strength trainers and you know when you put yourself in an environment like that it's almost impossible not to rise to the level that you're talking about like you just pick yourself up every day because the people around you are so good that it's almost they demand that from you now and all, all you've then got to have is kind of the 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 discipline to say well i'm going to get out of bed every day i'm going to make sacrifices like any normal athlete and then and and that's how you ultimately get there in, on a fast track, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I do
1: think you can. Uh, I don't think you can fake that. I think that. Uh, no. I think that it's also hard because I think that a lot of times you don't really know you're putting yourself in that situation when you're doing it. Mm. You might either think you're at that level, you, and it's going to be tough. You might. Um, kind of just, you know, a lot of people don't have the resources and necessarily pick and choose exactly, exactly everywhere they go. So right. uh, I think yeah, there has to be some luck involved as far as where you end up or what your resources are, because on the flip side, it is crazy when you see someone with limited resources make the most of it and just come out of nowhere and kind of shock the world, which yeah,
2: happened. Yeah, Lydia Jacoby is like a prime example that mm-hmm. comes to mind. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I was fortunate, um, and I think that those things really early on just taught me, I think it's also, it's there's some level of environment and some level of just learning. Like, I, I'd look around, and and that was just what I saw needed to ha- needed to happen. And so I was just willing to put myself in really uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece where I, I always, am like, is that something that, like, you have the environment, it's set up, and not everyone rises to the occasion, right? Like, there's some people that look at that, and they're like, well, that's just that person, or that's just... You know that's just Michael Phelps doing that. When mm-hmm. you know, I know you looked at the best people on at the Rams and Michigan State. And you're like, well, that could be me. And I did the same thing. I was like, well, why can't that be me? Like, let let me try. Um, yeah. So there's a I think there's a split, and it's a constant. Like I can have this conversation for like five hours because I'm constantly thinking about it for like what how do you how do you raise it raise kids and and that environment I, I know it sounds like we're having kids tomorrow we're not but like <laughs> I, I do think. oh wow well,
1: reveal I'm, okay congratulations I'm, yeah my, my mom's gonna be prompt, yeah. like
2: crying <laughs> um, but no it's it's just it is something i find so fascinating of, of mm everyone has that different background but what's the biggest commonality and that that has to be it it has to be
0: yeah i do too i find it fascinating as well and i'm glad we're having this conversation and it kind of relates to your business you guys have a business called synergy dryland right now and so um how did that come about how did you guys decide to do this
2: yeah. I'll tell the I'll tell the beginning part and then he can tell the yeah. kind of the current day part. Cool. I mean, so in the middle of the pandemic or right when the pandemic started and pools started shutting down, um, you know, my you know, agent at the time wanted to come up with a concept which essentially was providing free programming. Um, for everyone who's just sitting at home, mm. and something that I, you know, I think it's great to, and I love, I love giving motivational speak, speak, uh, sorry, motivational speeches mm-hmm. and talking to kids. But in that moment, all I could think was, what would, what would I want if I was still competing and I was going for Tokyo? I was, you know, compete, trying to compete at NCAA's, um, and it wouldn't be just someone to tell me, hey, just be positive, keep it up. You know, I wanted to give them something tangible, like, hey, like we can work out together, we can get stronger. And so I just started doing you know, basically live zoom workouts uh, mm. twice a week for an hour, and I joined in. Like I literally would just kick my own butt, like I could mm. barely speak on the zoom. <laughs> and the response, I mean there was like thousands of kids that were jumping on, and the response was just so um, big and we started getting more questions about strength training. and then mm. kids got back in the pool. Um, that continued and they started to see basically the fruits of their labor that they had put in, you know, during the, you know, 10, 12 week span. Right. Um, and so that kind of moved into individuals that moved into then, you know, teams and we were like, wow, this, there's really a need for this in mm-hmm. the sport and he has a really long, uh, long background in strength and conditioning. I obviously had the lens of, of being an Olympian and and knowing what worked, what didn't. And so we kind of combined forces to create what became synergy.
1: I think that when, so when Katie was finishing her career, when she kind of was coming back from it, I was training her and I had to learn, you know, I did so much research and swimming and all this stuff. And, you know, it seemed like there was an opportunity just in a couple things. Like one, the reason it's called Synergy is just, you know, strength coaches have a ton. I'm sorry. Uh, swimming coaches have a ton on their plate, right? Mm-hmm. They're great at coaching swimming right. and every other sport, the strength coach is dedicated for that sport. And they're designing all the programs. They're very like custom and individualized for that sport. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a lot of these club coaches and, and even some of these big teams were almost expected to be an expert in swimming and dry land, which yeah. is just, yeah. you know, it's just a, unheard of in any other sport. So, um, you know, that was a big opportunity. Like how can we take that off their plate? And then the other thing was just innovation and bringing in some of these different, um, ideologies and systems from, you know, different strength, conditioning worlds, fitness, those things are evolving so quickly and, you know, swimming, you're kind of in your tunnel a little bit in your lane. And I think that there's some innovation that can happen and some great ideas that maybe haven't necessarily been pulled into the sport that, you know, we thought could make a difference.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. I mean, it's so true that you know, even, even as a college coach, I relied heavily on, you know, the coach that the strength coach at the university had supplied for me and, and us trying to get on the same page and figure out, well, wh- wh- what am I doing in the pool? And what are you doing on the dry land? How can we meet in the middle? But there's just not a lot of coaches who uh, have a full understanding of the, of the swimming side of it. They come at it from the strength side of it, but then you have to kind of, give them this whole dossier on what we do in swimming and why we do it and why do we swim two hours and all that sort of stuff and how does it relate to the gym so there's there's not enough of it in that sense swim angelfish swim angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities swim angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to SwimAngelfish.com today to apply. How, how did it turn then into kind of like a full blown business, you know, decision to say, all right, let's, let's take this. And, and, uh, is it, is it within just America? Or is it, is it a global thing yet? Like, are you, have do you have clients because it is online? Do you have clients worldwide or is it just America?
2: Yeah. So I mean, well, I'd say we, um, we've had, we've had inquiries actually from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, we do have some clients in Canada for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of teams, we're we're just um, we're just in the U.S. right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the way that it started forming into a business was again just. I always hear this story when people talk about being an entrepreneur and building a business, and they're like, it just it just happened, like it just made sense, and that's yeah. really how it came for us. It's like there's there's need, there's a need. Um, people are reaching out. We're able to provide that. Um, we're able to do it very dynamically with kind of the two of our skill sets together um and so once we had that interest we, we went all kind of dove, dove you know head first into it um and have just started you know we started we signed a partnership with tier which was really really exciting and cool um and it's just kind of snowballed from there and i think the, the really neat thing and um exciting thing for me is it's been so much referral base of just people really enjoying what we've provided seeing value in the pool, um, whether it being, you know, having no injuries that year or getting more explosive. Um, and so from, from there, we've been able to really reach more and more people as we've gone and it's been really fun for me to kind of get back into the sport in a totally different way. Um, mm. than I've ever imagined.
0: Yeah. yeah. Todd, is there, I was going to say, Todd, is there, is there like, were you in this industry already before this business kind of like, you know, getting your certifications and that type of thing?
1: Yeah. So I've been in the strength and conditioning field for man, um, de- 10 years now. And, uh, yeah, so I originally started and I went back and worked at the facility that I trained for pro day. So we mm-hmm. trained a lot of athletes there right. and then transitioned into some more one-on-one stuff. And then I worked with Equinox at, at our corporate headquarters for a while. I worked with them in Miami, Chicago, and New York city. And we managed big groups of trainers, but. You know through that i was able to you know i basically saw every single certification i could possibly get mm. um, you know I, I would go to and you know you don't when, when you chip away over 10 years that's a lot of education that adds up so yeah the pretty easy transition and i was always obviously training her i learned a lot and i was always interested in the sport and i was always i always talk about you know some of the challenges swimmers have and i think some of the things that could pull from different sports like baseball and some of the overhead athletes and other sports and they have a little bit more resources sometimes on the strength conditioning side and so it kind of just came to fruition and we as we got more I mean it was so organic with with the people reaching out and it was also so fulfilling like it was awesome it's it's still super cool you know we work with teams and seeing like big changes and people you know making cuts for different big needs and getting Mm out getting you know on different podiums it's it's like it's very fulfilling and uh fun so um like it's so organic like we don't hold anyone to a contract you know it's all month-to-month base where Mm. you know we we're confident we're going to give you value so like we're not going to hold you hostage in you know legal documents or anything like (laughs) that it's just fun and it's been great and um you know i think that that kind of takes care of itself when you have that mentality.
0: So how do the teams do, or teams or individuals, do, do you guys just have a calendar and they just book in times and you guys are just in the gym all day?
1: No, so we we usually work through the coaching staff. So okay. um, we have a couple different routes, you know, so we do have an app where we'll provide teams if they're separate, if they don't have a facility, you know, we can get the team and provide the team programming through our app. So they mm-hmm. all have the resource to go through it themselves. So I, I'm on there. Katie's doing the workout. Basically, like they click on it and it shows a tutorial video mm-hmm. of each exercise and okay. walk them through it. But then uh, with the higher level teams, a lot of times they'll have an assistant coach or someone that's a uh, part time that will facilitate the workout, but we'll just work with them um, like remotely and talk about the strategy and kind of walk them through the workout, prepare them for the workout so they can take the team through it.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. I like it uh i've had a bunch of strength swimmer strength coaches on on my podcast recently i had dan daly uh dennis hecmati and and keenan robinson who's uh katie i'm sure you're you you know very well keenan's uh yeah. usa swimming so um uh, uh, a lot of good stuff coming out so i had some follow-up questions i'm going to hit you guys with a couple that kind of people have reached out to me and said well i really want to know more about this i want to hear about that so um first one here i'm going to just get straight into this so so uh, we talk about core strength a lot and, and a lot of swimmers and swim coaches don't fully understand what what core stability core strength really means so what does it mean what you know the to talk about core strength and connection
1: yeah well i'll let you go first from the swimming lab.
2: I mean, I felt, I feel like with my, within my experience, I mean, to me, when someone talks about good body position, mm-hmm. to me, it all stems from the core. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was able to stay Right on top of the water, uh, really be able to engage on breaststroke, and butterfly for the more short axis strokes. Um, and so to me, like he's, again, he's the more science person, so he's going to be able to answer um, on that level. But you know, from an Olympic athlete perspective, I felt like my core was everything. And, and I didn't necessarily feel like I, that meant I had to do like, you know, sit there and do 400, 500 crunches a day, like I felt like everything that I was doing, you know, whether it was a goblet squat, um, you know, or a squat jump, or whatever that may be, I always felt like my core was a part of that and, and i was constantly working my core so um you know and then when i got in the water being able to immediately activate and engage that for what i was doing um that that's to me where where it really comes into play but let
0: me ask you about that how how do you engage your core because a lot of people think about core you know core is like flexing and just, you know just turning on like your your six-pack type of thing and but it's it's not that in swimming is right it now
2: no i mean i think it's i always compare it to like i felt like you know when i would get in the pool and say you know i'm i'm working on breath timing or i'm working on you know a high elbow catch on freestyle like Mm -hmm. i would be focusing on the drills and i'd be exaggerating it and doing in the drill like Mm -hmm. i don't ever feel like and maybe this was just the way that i operated and i swam but like by the time i was getting into like doing repeats all out and workout or getting into the meet I wasn't sitting there being like, oh, I need to have my elbow up at this position, Mm -hmm. right? Like Just happening. And so I felt like when I was doing core movements, um, you know, on land and I would do it, say, before a session and I would come to the pool, I instantly felt like my body just was able to remember how to activate. Like, again, I wasn't thinking of like squeezing my core. Mm -hmm. Like when I was on top of the water, I was, you know, activating it. I just felt like because I had that strength because of what I was doing on land, it instantly connected and the same thing of anything I was doing overhead in terms of, you know, my lats being able to grab more water, um, whatever that might be. Um, that's how I, again, I'm sure there's some science behind that, but for me, that was where I felt the most value in terms of that, you know, land connection.
1: And I think from a program perspective, I think we kind of look at it as a twofold approach, you know, for us, the core is, okay, can you resist movement through the spine, right? Can you, you keep a pillar position torso. Mm-hmm. you know at one and then the other thing that i think is often overlooked is you know when you look at the core and just the detachment sites of the muscles it's a very broad area and the the core alone can produce very little force right like if you sit there and try to like twist mm-hmm. it again it's you're not going to produce a ton of force so right. it's how do we transfer force the most efficiently as possible i think that's kind of what katie's talking about is you know our limbs uh you know our legs and our in our you know, our pecs and all these big movers on our limbs produce a ton of energy and force. And it's like the more efficient you can transfer that through your core, the more it's going to eventually, you know, extend out to your extremities, your hands, especially your upper body extremities and translate into faster swimming. And that's what we're yeah. trying to do. It's, it's, yeah. I was like, transfer force is the main thing we're training
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and, and, as opposed to, um, you know, some of the slower twitch generic like core training movements you'll see.
0: Yeah, Todd, one of the things I was taught when I was learning about the core and kind of connecting it was was sucking in the belly button. Is that something that's still relevant? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's tough because you're going to get different opinions. But, you know, when we look at an athlete in sport, the last thing you want them thinking of is how to activate their core, right? Mm -hmm. We want them to go. And that's true with anything. You know, when you think about deadlifts, squatting, when someone's in a sport, there's no way they're actually going to have that thought process and that's going to actually slow them down. So right. you know, if something like sucking in the belly button, oftentimes when we're doing a heavy strength movement, we're actually going to do the opposite. We're going to create space, you know, fill our torso with air to create mm-hmm. the most final stability that we can in, you know, that the belly button will expand. So I wouldn't say that there's no value in that, but for the most part, you know, that's not something that we usually teach
0: right i gotcha what about coordination with the courts i know it's different as you're as you're growing up and and your body's changing and you know you're getting taller and you and you're trying to figure out what your arms and legs are supposed to do (laughs) in the pool it's like it it becomes uh you know it's really difficult to kind of get a a teenager to kind of engage with the core they don't really know what's going on there how do you guys deal with that
1: you know i think that uh i think relating things to real life scenarios that are already happening is a very powerful thing so i, I would say we always encourage kids one to play multiple sports up right, into a right. certain level yeah. um, the other thing is i think it's really important in how you speak about an exercise there's tons of power in language and analogies and you know there's nick winkleman who has a phd in motor learning he does some amazing things and just the way that you speak about a specific movement and especially use an analogy related to a real life movement or a real life scenario, for example, mm-hmm. like um, jumping, relating that to a rocket leaving Earth or shooting through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the language you use, uh, how much that affects the actual efficiency and how quickly the coordination they catch on to that movement uh, happens. So right. we try to use language in some of the videos that are easily digested that kids mm-hmm. will hopefully relate to. But at the end of the day, variability and um, doing different things is pretty amazing for the brain. So you'll see as the younger we get, the more variability in programming there is just because like that neurological development and like you're saying, proprioception and their limbs and all these changing levers on their body. That's kind of how we try to incorporate and combat like the quickly changing body of a young
0: swimmer right right katie i got something for you you know uh one of the biggest kind of uh wake-up calls to me was when i was traveling with the australian team went to japan once and just watching the 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 japanese swimmers in their pre-meet kind of warm-up you know they would sit there for about 40 45 minutes going through a series of kind of um you know exercises core connection you know just body awareness type stuff stretching but it, it just it was so in, inclusive and so in depth. And then they'd go in and do their their water work and then come back, put their suit on, and race. And I was just blown away by how much they prepared before getting into the pool. Like you us as kind of Australian swimmers, American swimmers, we kind of just stand there and then coach says, All right, let's warm up and we dive in the pool. You know, it was like and and my frustration with the college team was that every every day is like, Can you guys do something before you get into the water so that we're prepared to get the, the warm up going so you you know what i mean here so how important do you think is that that education of of teaching the the athletes to have a pre warm up routine
2: oh my god so important i mean i it's so funny i look back like that was something that i was doing at nbac starting at 13, 14 years old. I mm. mean, that was, like, the expectation was you're getting to practice, you know, at least 30 minutes early, mm-hmm. um, and part of that, I think, is part of it's physical, physical and part of it's mental. Like, it's giving mm. you an opportunity that like, the second I start doing my foam rolling, I start doing some of these activations, like, that's focused time. I'm locked mm here for workouts. So that's partly what it did for me of just being able to, you know, I would go in, I have my routine, I'd look at the workout, I knew what I was needing to execute on that day. And then I would go into that routine. Um, and so number one, I always felt like I was very primed. Uh, and then I could also bring that to the meat because then I had that same routine that I was very much, you know, rooted in for confidence. Um, and then at the same time, it was just mentally being able to feel prepared, um, you know, and and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um so I am a bear in anything anyone I talk to um, when I talk about routine when I talk about you know really going going what what is that extra step what is that extra 1% that you see all the elite athletes doing I would say even more so now uh, probably a lot less back then mm-hmm. um, that's what it is it's, it's not just yeah standing around and jumping in and then taking all of the warm-up to get ready right. probably you know the first round of the set mm-hmm. get ready from the second you jump in so you right. can, you know, that meet warm up or, you know, the set that day.
1: And that's something right. we do with all of our teams is we actually collaborate with their coaches and kind of yeah. their philosophy. Mm. And they'll they'll have like a, you know, this is your team's warm up that we expect you to do before dry land, but also before you get in the pool at any meat, just because, you know, they can get that consistent connectivity that you're talking about
0: yeah yeah i'd love to see that shift in the american culture man where athletes turned up half an hour early and just had a routine going oh man that would just Catch up (laughs) yeah uh, that's it well you guys are setting the standard for the younger ones now so that's awesome um todd katie's an interesting case here because she's female and she swam kind of mid-distance distance type events right and so a lot of females are afraid of getting in the gym and getting stronger. And especially the ones that swim kind of these distance events, they're like, I don't need to be strong. I do everything I need to do in the pool. I don't want to look like a man, you know, all that, all those kind of, you know, preconceived notions. So how, how do we combat that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the first thing is that is why it's important to support things outside of the pool, like the nutrition. So I think having a good understanding of how that impacts things in the, in the weight room is a good start, but the other thing is, you know, and that's something that's very specific to swimming is what we're trying to do is make someone basically as strong as possible mm-hmm. while on the least amount of size and weight, right? right. right. That's, that's the goal. So, you know, I, it's very difficult to put on muscle. And you can ask any, any guy that's tried to put on 10 pounds of muscle. It is <laughs> a very difficult thing to do when you're doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. I think tapering the training down to where you're working on more of a, like a neurological power output, not doing heavy volume and, and hypertrophy type workouts that are gonna um you know break down the muscle to the point where it's going to put on size and recruit you know um i, I guess you know hypertrophy the muscle that's the last thing we want to do so I, we do design workouts that are specific to power where okay we're working on like maximum velocity relatively low reps so we do avoid that happening but okay. uh, you know as far as physiology goes i i It's very difficult to do, especially if you have your nutrition under control. You know, it's honestly, usually goes the opposite. Usually a female responds extremely well to strength training, body composition improves. Um, Oftentimes measurements improve and all that stuff. And, And at the end of the day, usually, you know, your hydrodynamic Abilities or profile improves, so you tend to go a little bit faster.
0: I, and I always felt like confidence went through the roof too. You know, sure. yeah. like they're like, "Wow, I actually yeah. feel incredible." I, I'm, and I'm, I'm not putting on the muscle that I thought I was. I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm just strong and athletic, and I feel great.
1: It's awesome. It's awesome to see. And that's the other thing is like some of these kids. It's like they're not going to swim forever, mm-hmm. but it's cool to see things like that happen. Like you know, get confidence, life skills. Like working out is a life skill. It's not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. So. Um, it's pretty cool to see when that that transition happens.
0: You, you do need more strength and power as as a sprint swimmer as opposed to kind of the the 200, 400 type athlete that Katie was. So, what what would be the differences you would think in in coaching the two?
1: Yeah, I think I think that um, I think with the power athletes, like the shorter sprinters, you are able to hold a little bit more muscle mass just because at the end of the day. You're going to need a certain amount of actual muscle mass to produce maximum amounts of power so if you're mm-hmm. talking about coming out the blocks for a 50 free i mean you're going to need to recruit enough motor units where you're you're going to put on a little bit of size and that's okay so i think finding that balance taking a look at body composition and then again i think with the distance swimmers making sure you're really strategic with which exercises you're taking into certain rep schemes and which exercises you're keeping like a really low rep count and intention of more power training from a neurological perspective and not actual, like a muscular fatigue perspective, mm-hmm. kind of how we would tweak things. You're yeah. going to a little bit more high reps, um, in, in higher volume in the power group. And then the endurance group is going to taper off still high intensity, meaning like we're going to ask, ask you to jump through the roof or whatever we're doing, but it's going to be a lower amount of volume. I would say over a, a periodization model.
0: Destro Swim Towers, gain strength in the water with a tower of power, save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T at checkout, destromachines.com. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few VASA trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to VASATrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from VASA. It's interesting. I had a list of questions here and you guys were like, Oh, let's just see where the conversation goes. And the conversation is just going in a different direction now. So I like that. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned, uh, body composition, uh, Katie, I wanted to bring this up with you in terms of the, the female athlete. Again, it's a very touchy subject. Yeah. So like, how do you deal with body composition and what's the best way you you've found to measure it where, where a, a woman, a female athlete feels comfortable in knowing what the body composition is and and getting an accurate read on it.
2: Yeah, you're right. It is, it is a touchy subject. And I feel like it's, it's really, I mean, for, especially like a male coach, female athlete, that's one of the, one of the hardest things to address. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think if you always steer it back to what, what for you is the weight muscle mass that you are going to perform your best at, Mm -hmm. right? If, if, If that is the question and you can understand that piece then understand that maybe you don't need that extra 500 calories a day, or maybe you don't, you know, you can scale back on the number of times you're eating pizza. Like for me, it, it was more the way that I thought about it was, okay, if I can be the leanest possible, then it's going to be that much more easy to to get through the water and, you know, pull myself through the water. Um, I like to measure my strength to weight ratio a lot through pull-ups. Like I knew if I could crank out three times 10 pull-ups and I could max out at 17 pull-ups, I was in a pretty good spot in terms of you know where I was strength-wise to my my body weight, mm-hmm. um, but I was I was pretty conscious and and pretty um, in tune with what my racing weight was, and I was I was constantly I think I was never in the point where I was trying to lose so much weight that I felt like I lost strength, and I was that was a weekly conversation that was a weekly touch base, um, and I think the times where I did see my body fat increased a little bit was the times where I just you know I wasn't as strong I wasn't as dialed in and it was a direct correlation um right. I can reference those times in my career um but it just has to go back to the the number one goal which is swimming fast yeah. and, and wherever that is for you um is the goal and
1: I think from a coaching perspective what we try to do is you know the number one thing coming out of having a conversation like that is we want that athlete to have a positive relationship with food mm-hmm. right last, the worst thing can happen to a female or anybody really, but especially female swimmer is them one having a negative relationship with food because of this or prior have a negative relationship with food. So I think that, you know, when you dive into the goals and the psychology behind it and, you know, you start to get factual, understand what they want to do, you know, where their mentality lies with certain foods and, and dialing back, you know, there's no good and bad. There's just a different amount. And, you know, really taking an educational approach yeah. has been the best route that that we've found. Um, mm, extremely yeah. sensitive. And again, they have to be ready for those conversations. You know, you can't force that upon somebody.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And I appreciate you guys talking about that. You know, we, we do often talk about women, but I can remember distinctly, I was a scrawny little kid who wanted to be a world-class sprinter. And, and you talk about Todd, the fact that, You know, guys generally have a lot of trouble putting muscle on. I was one of those people of like I would try everything. I was having four protein shakes a day. I'm eating whole chickens. I'm like doing everything I possibly could to put weight on. And then I'd have, you know, an uncle come up to me be like, Oh, you're scrawny. When are you gonna get strong? You know, and like, damn it. So even even as a guy, like I had some body image issues yeah um, did, I, was you,
1: the other side. I was like i was super fat as a kid so <laughs> i mean i still have, i still have like certain insecurities from just right. from i and i've come such a long way but
0: yeah yeah men things. don't tend to talk about it as much right
1: no you're not allowed you know that's not a thing i think i think changing that's going to be a big deal i think you know man I, you know, a lot of a lot of the mentality and the psychology of men has just been pushed pushed aside for so long but you know most guys are having the same feelings you know when i was in other sports like wrestling and stuff where you know body image is even more you know physically visible mm-hmm, you know, there's all sorts of feelings that are going on and i guarantee you there's just as many you know younger guys out there that are having problems as as females to be honest yeah. with you so yeah um, hopefully it becomes more normal i think it's starting to but you know it's still a long path
2: talk yeah. about Talk about the speedos i mean swimmers swimmer guys are like the so, ultimate that's what i mean yeah, you, can't, yeah. you can't
1: tell me and also how many kids aren't swimming to, because of that i mean i'm sure
2: that has
0: a that has yeah. an impact yeah for sure yeah no I, I remember at the age of 18 i'm like i'm going into the gym this summer i'm not coming out until i'm you know 10 pounds heavier just with two my, and i did i just did hypertrophy training you know yeah. for for like three months where i was just like i'm putting on muscle and and it worked in the sense that I, I definitely got stronger. I don't know if it made me a better swimmer, but um, at that time it it, it, ma- it made me feel better about myself. Yeah.
1: yeah, that goes a long way. I mean, you feel good about yourself, you're going to go pretty
0: fast. Yeah. With that. yeah, yeah. Now now I'm the opposite. Now I'm like, damn it, I can't get this weight off me. <laughs> It changes, guys. Don't worry about it. The metabolism <laughs> slows down. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's talk about this then. Uh, what, what are the different, the other differences between men and women in in strength and conditioning? Uh, do you do you keep them on the same program, or do you have different programs you do for men and women?
1: Uh, we tend, well, we keep on the same program because we work with teams that they train together.
0: Right. Yeah if we
1: had like if we had a, a team that had separate groups we would probably do some different programming
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: there are differences for sure um i would say the differences well there's definitely differences in timing and all that stuff as far as um cycles go there's definite literature on that and the effects of that but that's going to be tough you know that's a really difficult thing to take on from a team perspective but as far as overall condition you know as overall programming goes i think that females have to work particularly hard um, like so they've done biopsies in men men and women and you know men with even the same amount of tissue create much more power especially in their upper body muscle, mm-hmm. muscle tissue so i think for a female to develop upper body especially extremity power that's going to take a specific focus and they're able to produce a little bit more power in their lower body relative to their overall mm. mass so um, it'd probably be a little bit more of the shift, some upper body specific, like power focus exercises. Yeah. But in general, uh, and then the other thing is they tend to be more hypermobile. So we do movement screens with all our athletes and we'll get an idea of like how mobile or how stable some of their joints are. They tend to be more hypermobile. So if you were to take a whole men's team compared to a, a women's team, men's team's probably going to have more moment, uh, range of motion issues. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to have more stability issues. So right. being stability
0: focused stuff for sure right gotcha that makes sense uh, katie i get a lot of questions about taper uh, specifically you know when you were at your best and when you felt your best on race day at any major championship were you doing some type of land work all, all the way up to you know pretty close to race day or were you the type of person in a program where you cut it out at a particular point
2: I love this question because we get this question a lot. Mm. I was doing, like, I remember, um, you actually even see, I don't know if you saw on our Instagram, but I have this picture of me, um, you know, in Athens, Greece, at one Mm. of the pools. Like, I think I was probably three or four days out, and I was like, I I found this rock because they didn't have any med balls, and I was like doing like, kind of like chest throws, but actually not throwing the rock Mm. to get my med ball throws uh, right before race time. So, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that, Goes, you know, the fastest is power, right? So I always was doing some level of squat jumps, some core work, some some med ball stuff, like nothing that was going to break me down or or make me feel fatigued. But being able to maintain that that the explosiveness um, was something that I was always doing before mm. any of my big needs whether it was World Championships, Olympics, um, and that's something that carries over to what we we do with our athletes, um, you know, leading into it. Um, that to me, just stopping. Is, is not the right thing to do um, when it comes to actually being able to fill your best out of me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my big regrets, actually, is, is I did do that. You know, like 04 was kind of the end of my career, getting close to it. And, and strength and conditioning back then was like you work really hard for a certain period of time and then you just do nothing for three it. or four weeks. You know, it was just like cut everything out. And I could just feel my strength just like disappear, my power, especially like you said, my power just disappearing. And, and being like, I'm a completely different person now than I was four weeks ago. I was strong and powerful now. I feel insecure, a little weak. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out where my power is. So I definitely uh, shifted that as a coach. And now, you know, in my, in my training with a lot of my sprinters, you know, especially Bruno Fratus, for instance, I like what you said, like just doing a med ball slam even even 15 minutes before a major race just like activation of just feeling that power and then transferring it to the pool absolutely we do those things you know
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah. 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 Um, I like what else did I have here oh um, this is a big one obviously so shoulder injuries did you ever have a, a shoulder injury Katie and um, and and what do you guys do for prevention and treatment
2: so I was really lucky in the fact that I mean I had you know small things here and there with my shoulder, whether it was maybe a, you know, you could call it tendinitis, but it was nothing that ever kept me out of the pool, really ever. Uh, and my only injury in my career was a pulmonary embolism, <laughs> blood clots in my lungs. So oh, wow. um, I, I never had experience with that, but I know a lot of teammates that did. And I know there's a lot of um, athletes out there that, that constantly struggle with that. And so we actually have um, really specific protocols um, to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah.
1: I would say our approach, you know, we view the shoulder, you know, the, the scapula is like the north star of the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially floating there, 17 muscular attachments, right? So if something's off, you're gonna see that in the, the rhythm between the scapula and the humerus. So mm-hmm. we try to do an assessment with with every swimmer at the high levels we work with and just see how their scapulas function in relation to your your humerus. And that's usually a pretty good start. You know, if you got some issues, you're gonna see some winging or it's, it's not going to rotate as, as much as it should. And that's kind of where we start. And then from there we dive into, okay, why is that happening? You know, is it soft tissue work we need to work on? Mm-hmm. Is it T spine rotation? Maybe it's their posture and it's not able to slide on their ribs. Um, so I would say the biggest things we do is activation of like the serratus and all the surrounding muscles that mm-hmm. move the scapula. Right. And then our secondary thing that a lot of swimmers have problems with is just the labrum. So, you know, when we're looking at the labrum, you know, attaches to like the superior part of the glenoid and runs in the biceps. Um, we're just making sure there's activation and any type of pulling or anytime the joint's unstable, just because that's when that's going to get tugged on and the instability of the shoulder. So I'd say the two-prong approach, scapular rhythm and mobility, and then just stability throughout the shoulder. So being able to transfer force and Stabilize that joint since it is super mobile in
0: most swimmers. Right, right. Yeah. And the other thing you said there was soft tissue work, which is interesting because a lot of shoulder injuries occur kind of later in your teens. You know, by, by the time you're about 14, 15, 16 is where you start to get these shoulder pains. And a lot of kids aren't doing any soft tissue work and they're just hammering themselves and then expecting their recovery to be maybe when they sleep or when they take time off from from practice, you know, in between practices, but that's, but they don't do any stretching, they don't do any soft tissue work, and then they wonder why they get in these chronic shoulder pains, and then it's not till they get to maybe college, where they get their first massage, and they're like, oh, wow, I, why haven't I been doing this for a number of years, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's tough, too, because you feel, like, a little bit indestructible when you're younger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like you
1: don't really understand it, but, like, all these... You know, ninety percent of probably swimmer injuries are just overuse. So right. it doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's taking wow. years and years for these problems to develop. Right. It's crazy how I mean massage one of the best investments consistently a swimmer can make, but there's yeah. not people that do it at that age. I yeah. agree. I agree.
2: That's I people would and people would make sorry, we live near a train, so if you heard <laughs> but uh, people people used to kind of make fun of me like when I was younger and I would do a weekly massage. And it, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I looked forward to. It was the most painful thing of all time. Like, I right. oh, but I think there's this, this feeling, whether you're not a non-athlete or whether you're in the sport and you're just not thinking, like you said, of massage as being so important, but, you know, obviously if you have the resources to do it, it's one of the best things you can do. And if you don't, I mean, I think, you know, we harp on it all the time. We we program in soft tissue work, but then having people understand that uh, soft tissue work is not just like rolling around on a foam roll for five minutes. And that's right what it turns into. It's like, it has to be very specific. You have to set time aside to do it. Um, And you have to, you know, really kind of make it hurt for for a number of minutes. And no one wants to do that. Um, But I think that was something that I, I really invested in that made a big difference and allowed me to do all the all the yards and and really be able to be consistently performing on a daily basis.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um another thing we see that the frustrated the life out of me, I go into the guys' locker room occasionally and they just have um supplements like lined up in the locker room. I'm like, what is all this crap you've got in here, guys? You know, like bottles and bottles of stuff. So in terms of um supplementation, what's your thoughts on it? And and especially I want to talk about creatine because I, I do get a lot of comments and questions about creatine what's your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean supplements in general you know 99 percent of supplements are a scam right yeah Yeah. there's pretty much only been a few you know that have actually been proven out to increase performance and and the main are, you know protein high quality protein right and creatine is the other one so Mm -hmm. we generally don't recommend supplements to our athletes right Mm -hmm. if you can get high quality proteins from from meals and and you know whole foods that's the best you're gonna get you know for example when you talk about creatine i mean it used to be you know the reputation it's gotten over the years is insane compared to what it actually is when it first came out it was like they thought it was coming in a syringe the way that people talked about it but yeah. you know and it's, it's a pretty it's a very naturally occurring substance and it has a ton of positive health benefits from cognitive with the brain and performance and all this stuff so you know we're, we're pro in that sense. But on the flip side, um, you know, if you have a, a large piece of beef or something like a grass fed beef, you're going to get close to three grams anyways. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that you can, you can get, you know, the same amount of creatine you would for supplementing. Um, if, if you're reading a really high quality diet. Now, that being said, I think it's hard to do. Um, I think it's something maybe as an athlete gets a little older, you know, maybe in college is something to explore. I don't don't think, but I think you have to understand what you're getting yourself into. You know, there's certain parameters around it, but um, for the most part, it's deemed pretty safe at this point and have some positive effects.
0: Right. We individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney wellness building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans to stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates erica understands swimming she gets it she's worked with over 20 olympians including the fastest man in the world caleb dressel Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B E I N E wellnessbuilding.net. Do you guys deal with diet and nutrition at all cuz I know like it's a changing world and there's a lot of vegans out there, there's a lot of vegetarians now, there's a lot of different diets, a lot of a lot of different ways that people are cutting out certain foods so that you know i'm sure that would affect your your strength and conditioning programming and and certainly the the swim programming based on all these different diets do you guys deal with that at all
1: yeah i think it's tough i think we we um
2: get a lot of questions
1: we get a lot of questions we get a lot of different philosophies i think Mm -hmm. we try to stay grounded in science that's our thing. And always go back to the whole foods and, and you know quality yeah. choices. But right. we do consult with some dietitians, um, which is helpful because when you get someone that has a specific uh, diet recommendation or they have a specific ailment or restrictions, that's when we kind of like um, you know, we want to make sure they're getting to to an expert. But we, we do it all the time. You know, I think that if there's anything we've learned from all this stuff, is that, that we don't know what's exactly <laughs> point. Right. There's a lot of ways people can be successful. And a lot of different ways to skin a cat in that in that world. So um, we always support Whole Food Choices. We can we can help and we can provide resources to kind of fit any needs. But it's a tough world to navigate for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, we stay in our lane. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. We,
1: get, we definitely dive into general recommendations surrounding practice and post-work and all this stuff. Or my
2: favorite but, protein bar or stuff right. like that
1: but all the new diets popping up, you know, it becomes, and you know, there's so much information out there now people are just asking a lot of questions. And, um, a lot of times the simple answers are the best and that's not necessarily the answer people are looking for. Yeah,
0: yeah no, I agree. I agree with that. For sure. <laughs> um, well, listen, uh, if anyone wanted to be around people who've been there, done that and got expertise in, in, uh, strength and conditioning and dry land and swimming um, you two are certainly people that I'd, I'd reach out to so how can people find you synergy dryland where can they find you?
2: Yeah so we are um, we are on Instagram so it's just uh, synergy dryland altogether. Um, we also have a website which is very simple too just synergydryland.com um, and then if anyone wants to email us it's just contact at synergydryland.com. Um, and then we both have our, our own personal pages, which we like to do some TikToks. We upload <laughs> some TikToks. We make fun of each other. We post workouts. Um, so I'm just uh, KT Hoff7 and um, uh, yours-
1: Todd Anderson, under, or Todd Anderson42 underscore. Yes.
0: Yeah, Todd, listen, Katie's Kate the star, but you got way more Instagram followers. Than her. <laughs> yeah.
2: Everyone says that. It's so
0: annoying. <laughs> you got one up on her, man. It's all good. So. Go. Uh, she was
1: right before like the heavy Instagram wave. She would have had a ton of followers, but it's
0: <laughs> <laughs> much yeah, better. They're hard to grow. They're hard to get.
1: To me, so she, she gets that.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, I appreciate this. Uh, I hope people reach out to you. I hope you get a ton more clients out of this and, um, You guys are awesome with what you're doing i appreciate your time today so uh thanks a lot uh, todd and katie appreciate it yeah
2: Thank thank you so much
0: all right you guys wait there i want to talk to you for a sec